Section 48 of Christmas and Christmas Lore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Christmas and Christmas Lore by Thomas G. Crippen. Section 48. Subsidiary Festivals. We now come to deal with the subordinate festivals of the Christmas cycle, each of which has its own special folklore. It was thought that as the season of Advent leading up to Christmas represents the coming of God to men, the twelve days following Christmas and culminating in Epiphany represented the coming of man to God. In England, during the Saxon monarchy, it was ordained by law that these twelve days should be kept holy an ordinance which like almost every other good thing of that age was popularly ascribed to alfred the great boxing day has been already referred to in connection with christmas boxes but from the latter part of the fourth century it has been observed as the feast of st stephen this distinction was no doubt conferred on him as the first christian martyr of Stephen we know absolutely nothing except what is recorded in two chapters of the New Testament, but there is a carol for St. Stephen's Day assigned to about the year 1400, which describes him as Herod's clerk of the kitchen. Stephen out of kitchen came, with boar's head in hand. He saw a star was fair and bright over Bethlehem stand. He cast down the boar's head and went into the hall, i forsake thee king herod and thy work is all there is a child in bethlehem born is better than we all this announcement is confirmed as in the story of the carnal and the crane by the crowning of a roasted fowl whereupon herod commands the tormentors to lead stephen out of town and stone him without delay apart from the native absurdity of the story the anachronism would be hard to beat the feast of st stephen was not very pleasant to horses in days when dr sangrado was a typical medical practitioner kirkmeyer tells us that every man drove his horses quote, as swiftly as he can until they do extremely sweat and then they let them blood which being done upon that day they say it does them good and keeps them from all maladies and sickness through the year as if that stephen any time took charge of horses here Close quote. The custom is said to survive in Austria and Tyrol. In many parts of Germany, too, and still more in Sweden, customs relating to horses are in vogue. Races, cavalcades, feeding the horses with consecrated bread or corn, giving them hallowed salt, and sprinkling them with holy water. It would seem, however, that all this is in honor not of the biblical Stephen, but of one Stephen, a missionary and martyr in Sweden, who was a great lover of horses, and was slain by the heathen in the ninth century. The pleasant modern ballad of Good King Wenceslas and his page on the Feast of Stephen is said to be founded on traditions of an actual occurrence in Bohemia in the north of yorkshire till about a hundred years ago the farmers wives were accustomed to make large goose pies which were cut up on st stephen's day and distributed to the poor one of the pies was usually kept to be eaten at candlemas at present however outside ecclesiastical circles st stephen's day is scarcely known in england except by its alternative name of boxing day 
but in theatrical circles it has been for several generations the great day of the year the commencement of the pantomime season in the eighteenth century the theatres were accustomed to present what were regarded as moral plays of the type of george barnwell for the edification of the london prentices but toward the end of the century it occurred to the managers that it might be better business to cater for the boys and girls home from school with a fairy tale or a popular story leading up to a laughable harlequinade the experiment proved a complete success aided as it was by the extraordinary popularity of the celebrated clown joseph grimaldi a generation later managers were accustomed to announce that the new pantomime had been in preparation all the summer gradually the proverbial inconstancy of fashion discountenanced the traditional harlequin columbine clown and pantaloon and demanded sparkling jests outrageous puns topical songs and the like ending with a gorgeous transformation scene the usual groundwork of these entertainments is still as of old a fairy tale like cinderella or the sleeping beauty a story from the arabian nights like aladdin or the forty thieves or a popular folk tale like whittington and his cat or robinson crusoe of late years attempts not wholly unsuccessful have been made to enforce moral lessons by dramatizing such stories as dickens christmas carol or kingsley's water babies but on the whole the public especially the children seem to prefer the non-moral st john's day twenty seventh december is a festival of no great antiquity having only been established by ecclesiastical authority in the thirteenth century the only special custom of the day was the drinking sometimes to excess of consecrated wine this was said to be in memory of st john having drunk a cup of poison from which he received no harm some folklorists say it was a survival of an old heathen wine sacrifice all sorts of magical virtues were ascribed to this hallowed wine men drank it to make them strong and maids to make them fair in tyrol it was supposed to protect the drinker from being struck by lightning in rhineland it guarded the other wine which a man might possess from injury in styria it kept the body sound and healthy in bavaria it was kept as a medicine against sickness in carinthia nassau and other places some of it was poured into the wine casks to protect the stock from harm in the seventeenth century these drinking customs were so rife that scholars maintained with every appearance of seriousness that the german word for christmas weinacht i e holy night was merely a misspelling of weinacht i e wine night probably the truest explanation of the whole was given by a teetotaler who sagely said they drank because they like it the day of the holy innocents twenty eighth december commonly called childermas and in northamptonshire dizimus was generally accounted unlucky it was unlucky to pare one's nails to put on a new suit or to begin any kind of work if any work was begun on that day it would either never be finished or would have an unfortunate ending not only so it was held that the corresponding day of the week throughout the next twelve months was likewise unlucky from the paston letters one hundred sixty eight twenty first june fourteen sixty one we learn that the coronation of edward the fourth 
originally fixed for sunday twenty eighth june was on this account deferred to the next day in many places it was customary on innocence day to whip the children all round quote, to make them remember herod's cruelty close quote. in france children who allowed themselves to be caught in bed on that morning came in for a whipping in normandy the early risers among the young people themselves gave the sluggards a beating in the saxon erzgeberg the young men whipped the women and girls on st stephen's day if possible while they are still in bed and the girls retaliate on st john's day in other parts of germany the girls on st stephen's day and the boys on st john's day beat their parents with fir branches and the servants beat their masters with rosemary twigs this is accompanied with a ditty imploring good luck or long life for the person who is beaten that these whipping customs were not restricted to innocence day makes it very unlikely that they were originally commemorative of herod's massacre they were more probably indeed almost certainly of heathen origin designed either to expel evil spirits or to confer some magical benefit they seem related to the roman lupercalia when young men ran about the streets with thongs striking every woman they met the action being regarded as distinctly beneficent the association of the custom with the innocence day is a mere adaptation we have already recorded the custom at godstow in the thirteenth century when on innocence day the public prayers were said by children at a later period there were processions of children on that day which were suppressed by henry the eighth in fifteen forty it may be that a notion of literalizing the scripture precept to be as little children suggested a ludicrous practice at lincoln's inn in the early part of the sixteenth century when a king of cockneys was elected who held a mock court on innocence day more commendable is a pleasant custom which of late years has been observed in westminster abbey where on the afternoon of innocence day a musical service is held specifically adapted for children and old english carols are sung in procession this surely deserves to be imitated wherever there are facilities for doing it effectively in several parishes of west somerset and hevershire it was long customary to ring a muffled peal on innocence day this practice survived until within living memory twenty ninth december before the reformation was the ecclesiastical commemoration of st thomas of canterbury otherwise archbishop becket who was murdered in the cathedral on that day in eleven hundred seventy references to him are found in several old carols this for example the fifth day hallowed st thomas right as a strong pillar of brass held up the church and slain he was and crowned was for his prowess but we have not met with any traditional custom on that day which seems at all related to him or to the honour in which he was deservedly held as a champion of the church against the usurpations of the civil power thirtieth december in the ecclesiastical calendar is assigned for the commemoration of two or three all but forgotten saints of ancient date and purely local celebrity the final day of the year is dedicated to st sylvester bishop of rome in the days of constantine the great who figures largely in the monstrous eighth century fiction of the donation of constantine no popular custom or tradition is associated with these black-letter saints 
as to the midnight services which originated in the early days of the methodist revival and which are now common far beyond the bounds of methodism they were designed simply as a solemn consecration of the new year and can only be regarded as an interlude in the christmas festivities in scotland before the reformation yuletide festivities were conducted with so much extravagance and disorder that the days from christmas eve to the new year were popularly spoken of as the daft days the violent and revolutionary character of the scottish reformation issued in the abandonment of all ecclesiastical anniversaries pasch and yule among the rest being condemned as relics of papistry or heathenism but the proverb holds good though you thrust out nature with a pitchfork she will return and the daft days were merely transferred to the new year still the puritanic endeavor of the scottish reformers to make all things new did not find favor in the gaelic-speaking districts of the northern highlands where customs of pre-reformation and even pre-christian antiquity survived till quite recent times the term noleg coming from welsh natalig and latin natalis was applied to the whole seven days from christmas eve to the new year during that time tradition forbade any serious work the house was decked with holly to keep away the fairies who certainly were not regarded as welcome guests christmas eve was night of cakes from a custom of giving a cake to every person who entered the house a slice cut from the christmas cheese at the feast was supposed to have magical virtues familiar sayings were no christmas without flesh and whom christmas does not make cheerful easter will leave sad and tearful other gaelic customs relating to the eve of the new year seem to be mere survivals of heathenism and need not be further enlarged on end of section forty eight Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado.